<laughs> Dr. Bob Rowe and then Dr. Abel. I had a case I just want to very quickly present. It's one of the patients I had here, but I'm seeing her this week to make a decision. It was a 58-year-old woman who, without any symptoms except a cough, so her internist had a chest x-ray and they found a lesion. Athletic, never smoked in her life. She has a CAT scan that shows a lesion on her chest x-ray measuring four centimeters. She has a PET scan that this lights up. A T3 lesion also lights up in her thoracic spine. She has a head CT that shows two brain metastases, totally asymptomatic, and an MRI that probably shows six or seven small brain metastases. She has no neurologic symptoms, performance status zero. We put a needle biopsy in the lung lesion. It was an adenocarcinoma. Again, her mediastinum was negative, and physical examination was totally negative. She obviously went for whole brain radiation therapy, which she's just finishing this week, and radiation therapy to her thoracic spine lesion. She's coming to see me for systemic therapy. And being a non-smoker, I told her one where the most important thing was to get her brain taken care of and her spine. The question was, is this someone, obviously she's not a candidate for Taxol, Carbo, and Avastin because of the brain metastases. Is there any advantage to giving her chemotherapy with Tarceva? As a lifelong non-smoker, I mean, the choices I thought of when I saw her, look, I'd, like everyone else I'd treat, I'd probably give her Taxol, Carbo, Platinum, but should I think about Taxol, Carbo, and Tarceva for this woman? Marty? Well, this is a perfect candidate for the study we talked about in CLGB. And the bottom line is these are people with a different biology disease. We really don't know how to treat these people. And any answer you get is going to be highly subjective. I will, for the moment, channel my colleagues at Memorial who would absolutely do that. They would give her carbotaxol tarceva. We had a big argument about this. I would not. We're looking at the same data set. I look at four negative trials looking at chemotherapy plus an EGFR inhibitor, albeit not in a selected population. And then you can say, well, in the selected population, this was beneficial. But as has been pointing out, to the extent that there's benefit, it occurs after the chemotherapy is over and then kind of given in a sequential fashion. So I think you can do a variety of things here. And the question we're now asking in CLGB is erlotinib versus chemotherapy, carbotaxol or erlotinib. And there's a reason we're asking the question. We don't know the answer. And as I said before, I think I'd love to see a sequential regimen as well, because I kind of wonder about that possibility of giving chemotherapy standard cytotoxics and then following with erlotinib. The whole brain med issue and bevacizumab is being addressed. I tend to think that that was an overreaction and that the drug ultimately will be safe there. But I don't know that. And I certainly support conservatism in this place, because if bad things happen in these patients and you don't want to be there and have a 44 four-year-old who dies of a CNS hemorrhage having received bevacizumab, not that that won't necessarily happen anyway. So I wouldn't give you a clear answer on this because I don't think it exists. What would I do? I would probably give her a standard chemotherapy, preferably on the CLGB trial or on a different study. And at the first sign of progression, I would start her on erlotinib. But that's me I will certainly tell you others differ. It's a very reasonable approach. Yeah. So my feeling is, although not I was possible, I would have liked to have tissue confirmation of stage four disease. I don't doubt, given what you tell me, that she has stage four disease, but in a relatively young, otherwise fit woman, I'd like to prove it because... Multiple brain meds. Well, yeah, I know. I wouldn't say advanced to the brain, but maybe the thoracic spine lesion. I mean, that's just... What would you do if it were negative? 
I agree. If there were a single spot, right, yeah. right, 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 yeah, right, right, but with right, the brain right. and the thigh, because I thought you were going to yeah. start out with just the spine, right. and then God knows, you know, single site of metastatic you have disease. To but no, that, I, single I, site, you have you to know, biopsy. Yeah, yeah, single site. Yeah. Well, nah. yeah, I don't know. I have to <laughs> okay, no. strike that from the tape. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I still would have thought about you know. Anyway, okay, so. Let's say it was positive and you know she has stage four disease. I agree with what Marty said. But the one thing I've been impressed with with EGFR-directed therapy is that if you look at the two single-agent trials in second, third-line setting, it's the BR21 in the ISIL trial, which used Tarsiva and Arisa respectively. And you also look at the talent in Tribute trial. Tribute was Carbotax with or without Erlotinib, and talent was Cisgem with or without Erlotinib. And you look at the hazard ratio for survival in the never smoking population. In BR21, it was 0.4. In tribute, it was like 0.36. In talent, it was 0.49. And in ISIL, even with a suboptimal dose of ERISA for wild type EGFR, it was 0.67, all of which were statistically significant subsets of those populations. And they represented, on the first-line trials, 10%. On the second-line trials, 20%. I conclude from that, at least my bias is, is that EGFR-directed therapy in never-smokers is an important part of the therapy. So what I think the options are in my practice, I don't save it for second-line therapy. First of all, they go on the CLGB trial. But I think the standard is to give four cycles of chemo followed by Tarsiva. I think in the tribute trial, if you look at the never smoker population, the survival curves start to separate after six months. So it may be that, as Marty points out, giving it directly with chemotherapy may not necessarily be helpful. There's some evidence that it might be harmful, so I think you have to be careful. Some would argue, as we did in designing the CLGB trial, that erlotinib alone is a reasonable standard, or chemo with erlotinib. I happen to think those are investigational approaches. I think these patients do get benefit from cytotoxic therapy. So they should get that. And I think that the survival thing, I'm just electing to give second-line therapy earlier than I normally would, is essentially how I rationalize yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, so, I would give four cycles of cytotoxics and stop. And I think if you wanted to use this up front, I would tend to do it as a sequential fashion. Right. I think the one thing, though, from all those hazard ratios with the never smokers is that in neither, and correct me if I'm wrong, in talent, tribute, et cetera, that those patients did not have the option to then receive the EGFR inhibitors or that the contamination of crossover was relatively small. So we really don't know, you know, what would have happened. The and I think this is constantly an issue where people say, well, this is better in frontline than second line because they do better. Well, that's because frontline patients, I mean, you have a longer time interval there. And so I think that we haven't answered that question. I think it's a very interesting and potentially compelling question. Yeah, I agree with Marty. I mean, that's how I kind of look at it when I'm managing patients off a trial. Since we opened the CLGB trial, I've seen 12 never smokers. 10 have gone on the trial, so I don't have to make that decision because they go on the trial. And one patient didn't have tissue, so couldn't go on the trial. And the other patient refused to go on the trial for a number of different reasons. And so I had to make that decision. And I started off with carbotaxol. She progressed after two cycles significantly and now is having a significant response to erlotinib. The next case was presented by Dr. Samuel Bob Brow.
Mr. H, age 64, had an incidental finding of a right upper lobe lung lesion when he was admitted to the hospital for a facial cellulitis. A CAT scan didn't demonstrate any other evidence of tumor, and his mediastinum was negative on CAT scan. The patient underwent a bronchoscopy and mediastinoscopy on February 11th of this year, which was negative for lymph node involvement at R2, R4, and level 7 lymph nodes. He underwent a right upper lobectomy on February 22nd, which showed a 4-centimeter tumor in greatest diameter, which was an adenocarcinoma. Margins were all negative. No venous or lymphatic invasion was present. All of the excised lymph nodes at this time level 9 and 10 were negative for malignancy. The patient had stage 1B disease, T2, N0, M0, adenocarcinoma. He had a 45-pack year smoking history. He had excellent zero performance status. What was his lifestyle like? He worked managing a local food market and was very active, has a wife and two children. So Dr. Edelman, this man asked me, what's the chance that I'm going to have a relapse and how will that be affected by use of adjuvant chemotherapy? How would you answer today and how would you have answered three months ago when this man presented? We'll be getting to discuss the CLGB trial in a second, but this guy's at considerable risk. It's at least 50%. And he's obviously an excellent candidate for adjuvant chemotherapy. He certainly would have fit on any of the adjuvant studies, either in the United States or Europe, that included them, including IALT, the Canadian trial, and CLGB 9633. So I don't think there's any discussion or reasonable disagreement that this is a patient for whom adjuvant chemotherapy should be considered. Second issue is, do we have any demonstrated adjuvant therapy? And I would point out that patients with stage 1B were included on IALT, which is a positive trial. They were included on, was it JBR10? And that was an adjuvant, that was a positive trial. You know, and they did their subset analysis. It wasn't so clear that the 1Bs benefited, but those were unplanned analyses. And the fact is, is that their trials overall are positive. And so this patient certainly, by that alone, would be somebody that you would consider adjuvant chemotherapy. Now, there is one trial that specifically looked at this question. That is the CLGB trial 9633. When originally presented, it was markedly positive. It took a long time to do this study. I think it's kind of an embarrassment to the medical oncology community in the United States that it did not, I mean, all it needed from its original powering was 500 patients, then eventually was repowered at something under 400, 380-something patients, and couldn't complete its accrual, but then actually was stopped early because it was felt that it had crossed the boundary for positivity, and that's when it was first presented two years ago. The study was represented this year by Gary Strauss. At this time, it is negative, but it's a 0.10, and still there are data outstanding from this study. It certainly continues to strongly trend for an overall survival advantage. It is still definitely positive in terms of disease-free survival advantage. The overall survival advantage is positive at years two and three. It is not there at year five, but all the events have not yet occurred. So based upon the data that one has, would I recommend adjuvant chemotherapy for this patient? Absolutely. What regimen would I use? And that's where I think one can get into a whole variety of controversies. The only trial that utilized a carboplatinum-based regimen was 9633. And as I said, I think that study, the data are still out. And to echo the statements that were made by Dr. Strauss at the time of presentation is the study is negative at this time for its primary endpoint, but the data are not yet fully in. But it, again, had a lot of aspects of it that are positive that lead you to suspect that what may turn out is it might be negative, but as a result of underpowering. 
But the thing is, is that carbotaxol was used for that. The hazard ratio for carbotaxol in this study was the same as it was for cisplatinum-based regimens in the other trials, about 0.8. So I don't think it necessarily illegitimizes that regimen, which was extremely well tolerated on that study. However, I think that if one wanted to be the most conservative in this, at a very minimum, I would recommend a cisplatinum-based treatment. Certainly, cisplatinum venerelabine has the best volume of data supporting it. And I think that that would be very reasonable. I would certainly not criticize anybody who said, well, based on results in stage four, maybe we should use cisplatinum taxotere. That would be certainly fine. I don't think cisplatinum gemcitabine would be wrong either. And frankly, I would not criticize the use of carboplatinum taxol in this situation. I think that there are always two issues. One is what's kind of the nicest regimen and what's the regimen that you're actually going to get into a patient. And the one thing that was very unique about the CLGB trial was patients got pretty much everything that they were supposed to get on that study. And so for this patient, I think to be most conservative, I would use a cisplatinum-based regimen. I would certainly recommend therapy. And to just go back one second to 9633, in an unplanned subgroup analysis, the people who still clearly had benefit were those who had a resected tumor greater than four centimeters and a fairly high risk. And we know that the risk for patients in non-small cell lung cancer, as far as T2 by size, that there is an incremental increase in risk as the tumors get larger. This has been known for a very long time, at least retrospectively. So that's basically my position on this patient. So you would kind of lean towards a cis. What about three months ago when this man was presenting? Three months ago, I would have said carbotaxol, absolutely. But I think that it's not only the data, though, from the CLGB trial, even if that remained totally positive, I think there are other things that, and I've gone back and forth, and I'll be the first to say this is an area that always bothers me, which is cisplatinum is clearly tougher to get into patients, particularly, you know, post-ups, but it's not that impossible to get into people. And we're talking a curative area here. And I think that we saw a meta-analysis in stage four disease, cisplatinum, a little bit better than carboplatinum. That's now one of at least three meta-analyses that are out there looking at this question. It probably is incrementally better. Does that justify the use of cisplatinum in stage four disease? I'm not so sure, given the time, the toxicity, the other issues. But I think when you're talking curative therapies, we may need to readdress this whole issue. But I don't know perfectly at the moment. I think, though, that either would be reasonable. I think definitely this patient should get adjuvant therapy, though. Mark, what are your thoughts? I agree with Marty. I have thought a lot about the results of CLGB 9633, and I must admit they've not necessarily changed my practice patterns a great deal since seeing that. I think As Marty points out, there are positive findings in that trial. The failure-free survival is still positive. The disease-specific survival is still positive. The trial has not yet been analyzed for the final time. As he mentioned, 1B patients were included in all the other major trials, and those were positive trials. And so I think a gentleman like this who's 64, still working, doesn't have much other comorbidities, if any. The biggest threat to his life in the next five years is this four centimeter T2N0 lung cancer. So we have a demonstrated effect in a number of trials. And I think that someone like this generally gets through three or four cycles without a substantial risk of mortality and usually acceptable morbidity. So what would you likely recommend it specifically a few months ago? And is that the same now? I agree with Marty. I think the one change that ASCO this year has had in my practice is that 
If possible, I try to use cisplatinum rather than carboplatin. I think that's been the major change. Now, as Marty points out, for years we've known that cisplatinum seems to be a more active drug in stage 4 disease. However, stage 4 disease is incurable, yet treatable. We have to balance toxicity and treatment gains and that kind of things. Our median survivals are very short compared to what they might be in earlier stage disease. So I think cisplatinum with ataxane or gemcitabine or vinarelbine are perfectly reasonable options. I agree with Marty. I tend to use the cis docetaxel regimen outside of a clinical trial based upon some observations in stage four disease. We did have a meta-analysis at ASCO this year looking at cisplatinum docetaxel trials versus cisplatinum vinca alkaloid trials. And the docetaxel trials seem to be superior in stage four. So if that translates to a benefit in adjuvant, I think that's a good thing. So that's what I try to do. The problem is, though, in this population, there are a lot of people that are not good cisplatinum candidates. Having a thoracotomy, a lobectomy, pneumonectomy, bilobectomy, whatever it is, is a big hit on many of these patients. And we see them back at four or five weeks, and you're not quite ready to pull the chemotherapy trigger yet. You give them another couple weeks. They're getting better, but they aren't like a robust type of patient. So many of those patients I will use carbo in because I think getting some therapy in with something is important. And if you have to kind of compromise, I tend to compromise on the toxicities of platinum and use carboplatinum in those patients that I'm a little nervous about. Can you follow up on what happened with this patient? Well, this gentleman came back to see me right after surgery. Actually, he wasn't ready. You're right. The thoracotomy at times can be more difficult than you expect. Right. But I did, after waiting a couple of weeks, I treated him with adjuvant chemotherapy, and I chose carboplatinum and taxol. And I agree with you, Marty, if data shows that platinum is better than carboplatinum, you know, I would go with that as adjuvant therapy because this is your only chance to cure the patient. How did he do with the therapy? He tolerated the therapy very well. He was diagnosed in February. It started March or April. He finished a month ago, and his counts are back to normal. Never stopped working. Four cycles? Four cycles. Yeah. Very quick comment from both of you about the new ECOG adjuvant bevacizumab trial, which sounds like it's going to be amended to now exclude carbo. Taxol is one of the chemo regimens. Marty, what do you think about that decision? Yeah, I think it's probably premature, and I strongly support the trial since ASCO. You know, it's sort of interesting somehow or other. I haven't had any 1Bs since ASCO, but I will probably use a cisplatinum-based regimen, again, for the appropriate patient. But thoracotomy is not an easy thing. If you look at dose intensity, carboplatinum may make up for its, quote, lack of milligram by milligram efficacy with the fact that you get it into the patient. And there's enough that's positive in this small adjuvant trial. I mean, I'm sure if there were 3,000 patients on that study, it would be with the exact same ratios. It would be dramatically positive. So I think it's a mistake. I think it's an overinterpretation of the data. You know, I was kind of appalled actually at ASCO that, and I don't know how Mark feels about this, many of our colleagues got up both before and since, and I think possibly from the non-CLGB groups, you know, and it was almost gleeful in saying, oh, this was a negative study. And it's not a negative study. If the p-value were 0.051, would it be a negative study? I mean, there's a certain point where it's negative. And you have a 0.6 p-value or the hazard ratio is 0.9. That's absolutely negative. But if something is leaning there and you have numerous secondary indicators that are strongly positive, you really have to wonder. And, and there were issues with this study. 
Mark, what are your thoughts? Obviously, if they do eliminate, which it sounds like they are, it probably is going to hurt accrual. Do you think this is a good decision? No, I don't think it's a good decision. I agree with Marty. The decision to do that is premature. It saddens me in lung cancer that we cannot answer the carbocyst question in the adjuvant setting. If you look at our breast cancer colleagues, years ago, when I started my fellowship, we were giving CMF in the adjuvant setting. And then this drug called adriamycin came along, and we solved that question. Then the taxanes came along. So we answered basic cytotoxic concepts in the adjuvant therapy of breast cancer. We're still sitting around in 2006 arguing about carbo or cis, which one's better, which one should you use. We should have done, when the ALT trial was positive, a large randomized trial Carbotaxel versus cystaxel, or carbogem versus cisgem, or, or something like that. Or if we were like, like the breast cancer, you know, there's thousands of these patients out there, and a form carbocystaxel taxotere, and just answer the question, right. get the best yeah. regimen. We're always building these new regimens on this backbone of chemotherapy, and it's a very weak backbone. You know, we really need to improve. We need to optimize things and move on from that. Now, the issue about will it hurt accrual, my initial reaction was yes, it will. However, we are still in the cooperative groups in the U.S. wedded to cisplatinum-based therapy in extensive stage small cell. Most of us outside of a clinical trial in extensive stage small cell use carbo-based therapy. Using cis in the trials doesn't seem to slow accrual in the extensive stage small cell trials. So I guess, I don't know, I'm still optimistic that it won't damage the accrual rate too much, but it is a concern. 